Welcome back to From Hevel to Eternity. I'm Brian, and this is my Bible study podcast. Last week, we wrapped up the book of Micah, marking the halfway point in our study through the Minor Prophets. Today, we're continuing our march, and we have reached the book of Nahum. All of the Minor Prophets are linked together, so much so that in the original Hebrew Bible, all 12 were actually grouped into one book titled The Book of the Twelve. All of the books contain messages of judgment, repentance, and promised restoration. The entire Bible is one unified story pointing toward Jesus. And while those facts are definitely true, sometimes we get a few books here or there that run together with a common sub-theme. The books of Joel, Amos, and Obadiah, for instance, all carried common sub-themes of justice, righteousness, and the day of the Lord. And the three books of Jonah, Micah, and Nahum concern the historical interaction between Judah, Assyria, Israel, and Babylon. The book of Jonah covers the Ninevites, citizens of Assyria, and their turning toward God. It also highlights the desire of the Israelite prophet Jonah for the Assyrian city to be destroyed by God. The book of Micah concerns those very Assyrians being used by God to destroy Jonah's nation of Israel because of how the Israelites were running from God. Then today, the book of Nahum picks up the story of the Ninevites after a generation had repented and after a generation had conquered Israel. Spoiler alert, here in the book of Nahum we get a prophecy about the coming destruction of the Assyrians and the Ninevites. If you asked me to provide a catchy little title for this episode, I would call it A Comforting Destruction, A Path Toward Exile, Restoration, and the promised king. Israel, and Judah specifically, must go into exile, and the line of David must be spared. That's God's plan, that's God's promise. Assyria wiped out the northern kingdom from existence and wanted to do the same to the southern kingdom. This is God stepping in against a brutal nation to preserve a remnant that would include the messianic line. The genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1 exists because of this remnant being spared. This is a book describing God clearing the board of the Assyrians and giving rise to the Babylonians, who would be God's instrument for exile. I pray that as we unpack the book of Nahum, we are able to rest and find comfort in the Lord as a promise-keeping God, that we are better able to see the absolute sovereignty of God over all nations and all circumstances. oracle about Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite, Nahum 1.1. So the who of the book is God speaking through a vision of the prophet Nahum the Elkoshite. So the Elkoshite is just a reference to where Nahum is from. The ancient location of Elkosh is uncertain. It's not mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, and it has since been lost to history. So we actually don't know a lot about the background of the prophet Nahum. One thing we do know is that his name means comfort, and that it is probably short for the full name Nehemiah, which would mean comfort of Yahweh. Remember, though, that the messenger might be Nahum, but that this is a word from God, from a God who is described in the book with powerful words. Yahweh is a jealous God and avenges. Yahweh avenges and is full of wrath. 
Yahweh takes vengeance on his adversaries and he maintains wrath against his enemies. Yahweh is slow to anger and great in power and will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Yahweh has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan languishes and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languishes. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Nahum 1 verses 2 through 5. So the win. The date ranges for the book of Nahum vary depending on what historian or commentator you're reading. But all of them seem to fall somewhere within the years 663 BC and 609 BC. I tend to agree with the ESV study Bible range of somewhere after 660, but before 630 BC. This would mean that the prophecy of Nahum comes about 20 to 30 years before the actual historical destruction of the city of Nineveh. The what? Well, the book is an oracle about the city of Nineveh, specifically an oracle about the coming destruction of that city. So, at the time of this prophecy, the Assyrian Empire was expansive. Its capital city was Nineveh, a city founded on what today would be Mosul, Iraq, on the east side of the Tigris River by a dude named Nimrod. At its height, the empire extended from the coasts of Kuwait and the Persian Gulf to areas that would today be called Turkey on the Mediterranean. It even extended south all the way to Egypt, down the Nile River, all the way to the city of Thebes. With one major exception, the Assyrian Empire did not overtake the southern kingdom of Judah. So, as you're picturing this vast, expansive empire covering most of the Middle East, picture this little bubble around modern-day Jerusalem, this little bubble of Judah that God had preserved. God had preserved Judah for a time to come, and the what of the book of Nineveh sets up that time, a time which will come after God uses the emerging Babylonian empire to conquer the Assyrians, destroying their capital city of Nineveh. The book of Nahum lays out a clear case against the Assyrians. It describes the reasons why God's plan included wrath and destruction against the city of Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire. Why do you plot against Yahweh? He will make a full end. Affliction won't rise up for the second time. For entangled like thorns and drunken as with their drink, they are consumed utterly like dry stubble. There is one gone forth out of you who devises evil against Yahweh, who counsels wickedness. Nahum chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. Woe to the bloody city, it is all full of lies and robbery, the prey doesn't depart. Nahum 3.1 So the Assyrians plot evil against God and his people. They counsel people with wickedness and Nineveh is full of liars, robbers, and brutal oppressors. Look, Yahweh is slow to anger, great in power, and he had extended mercy to the Ninevites when they repented during the time of Jonah. But God could not ignore what this generation of Ninevites had become. The Assyrians were brutal and savage. They had completely destroyed the northern kingdom, and they had decimated a handful of cities in southern Judah as well. In their pillaging, they had fulfilled the plan of God, but that plan had run its course. The next step of that plan was the destruction of the brutal Assyrians. So the book clearly describes a message of destruction against the capital city of Assyria. Nineveh must go. 
One way to term some of the portions of this book is to call it war poetry. These very vivid descriptions of the events that would befall the sinful city. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a full end of their, her place and will pursue his enemies in darkness. Nahum 1.8 He who dashes in pieces has come up against you. Keep the fortress, watch the way, strengthen your waist, fortify your power mightily. Nahum 2.1 The gates of the rivers are opened and the palace is dissolved. Nahum 2.6 but Nineveh has been from of old like a pool of water, yet they flee away. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one looks back. Take the spoil of silver, take the spoil of gold, for there is no end of the store, the glory of all goodly fortune. She is empty, void, and waste. The heart melts, the knees knock together, their bodies and faces grow pale. Nahum 2, 8-10 through Behold, I am against you, says Yahweh of armies, and I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword will deliver your young lions, and I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers will no longer be heard. Nahum 2.13 Behold, I am against you, says Yahweh of armies, and I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will throw abominable filth on you and make you vile, and will set you a spectacle Nahum 3, 5 and 6. Then finally, Your shepherds slumber, kings of Assyria, your nobles lie down, your people are scattered on the mountains, and there is no one to gather them. There is no healing your wound, for your injury is fatal. All who hear the report of you clap their hands over you, for who has not felt your endless cruelty? Nahum chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. The bottom line, it is going to be a bad day for Syria and the city of Nineveh when the Babylonians come to town. The prophecy of the coming destruction of Nineveh is a prophecy that Jonah would have been content with. So if you remember back at the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah is just sitting there on a hill overlooking Nineveh, stewing at God for not raining death and destruction upon that city. Now the message of Nahum comes about a hundred years after the book of Jonah, so Jonah is not still sitting there on that hill cheering as Nineveh is destroyed, but he would have probably been excited about the result. History sees this prophecy play out. The Assyrian Empire was a vast and expansive empire. It was an empire that lasted about 500 years. Around the year 625 BC, the Babylonian Empire engaged in a campaign against the Assyrian Empire that continued for many, many years. In the year around 612 BC, the Babylonians and some of their allies successfully sieged the Assyrian capital city of Nineveh. So we talked about the city of Nineveh itself during our study on the book of Jonah, about how it was a very large city and probably had ten times the number of people living in it as the city of Jerusalem had at the same time. We also talked about its extravagant palace with over 80 rooms and its system of aqueducts and 18 canals that fed water into the city. Defensively, we talked about the city's Great Wall, 7.5 miles long and reaching 148 feet wide in some places wide enough for three chariots to ride across at the same time. Well, the siege of Assyria was long. It took three months for that city to fall. When it was all over, the city was in ruin and the Assyrian king Sin-Sharushkin laid dead. An interesting fact about the city 
is that after Nineveh's destruction, it was abandoned, lost, and not rediscovered until excavation started in the mid-1800s. Nineveh was really the last remnant of the mighty Assyrian Empire to go, and so after it fell, the empire was completely washed away by 610 BC. Garrett Kell notes that Nahum wrote the book that Jonah wanted to write, the book that Jonah wished he could write. So, rest in peace and prideful smugness, Jonah. This book highlights the seriousness of sin and disobedience and rebellion against God. Nahum 1.6 says, Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken apart by him. A just God has to execute just judgment. As we read through these minor prophets, we see the judgment of God on display. But that judgment is aimed at the proud, the arrogant, the haughty, the wicked, those who turn and rebel against God. As Jason DeRochi describes, it documents the God of universal power who humiliates the arrogant. Look, this generation of Ninevites had repented of the repentance that had occurred during Jonah's time, and they were now running from God. Hard. Don't rest your laurels on what your family history is, or who your parents are, or what you've done for God in the past. However, for the humble, the repentant, the faithful, God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So there is a lot of destruction and wrath in the book of Nahum, but don't get so distracted by the destruction that you miss the promise of restoration. God promises to break the bonds oppressing his people. Nahum 1.13 says, Now will I break his yoke from off of you, and will burst your bonds apart. God promises to restore the broken branches of Judah. Nahum 2.2 says, For Yahweh restores the excellency of Jacob as the excellency of Israel, for the destroyers have destroyed them and ruined their vine branches. Nahum is a short book, and it reads at face value like an angry book, a vengeful book. But don't miss the mercies of God that come out of this book. Yahweh is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. Nahum 1.7 Nahum declares that on our day of trouble we should lean into God and take refuge in him. He is our fortress. As, and as Psalm 91 describes, those who find refuge in God will receive deliverance and salvation. I will say of Yahweh, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Psalm 91, verses 2 and 3. Because you have made Yahweh your refuge and the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall happen to you. Neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. Psalm 91, verses 9 and 10. Then God speaks in the closing verses of the psalm, verses 14 through 16. Because he has set his love on me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. I will satisfy him with long life and show him my salvation. 
This book also points forward to a day when people from all nations will be judged, and that is where Jesus steps in. As Christians, he takes that punishment that we justly deserve, and he takes them on himself. The book of Micah says that he will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. This God-man, born of a woman in Bethlehem from the preserved line of David, preserved because of the events God orchestrates in this book. He would one day be a blessing to all nations and fulfill God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. The book of Nahum is a short little book, just three chapters, under 50 verses, but it sort of sets the chessboard for the culmination of Jesus' arrival and his work on the cross. The northern kingdom of Israel is destroyed by the Assyrians, but God stops them at the doorstep to Jerusalem. God then promises the destruction of Assyria at the hands of the Babylonians. From there, the Babylonians swoop in and destroy Assyria, and they lay siege to Jerusalem. But as the city is being destroyed, instead of killing everybody, they carry a small remnant of Israelites off into captivity. Among those carried off are descendants from the line of Abraham and David. God promises the restoration of Israel. He promises that one from the line of Abraham would be a blessing to all other nations, and that one from the line of David would be the shepherd king who would bring salvation to God's people. None of those promises get fulfilled if Assyria takes Jerusalem and annihilates that family tree. God is a promise keeper, and he orchestrates the nations to bring about that fulfillment. I have a podcast titled, Do Not Put Your Trust in Princes, covering Psalm 146, where it is clear that we have a God we can trust in regardless of national circumstances. A God who is greater than anything we can imagine and whose promises all find their yes in Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is the overall message of the book of Nahum? God promises destruction of the proud and arrogant nation that oppresses his people in order to ensure a remnant of his people from the tribe of Judah and the line of David will survive to one day be a blessing to all nations through Jesus Christ our King. We've mentioned that Nahum's name means comfort, and is probably short for Nahumiah, which would mean comfort of Yahweh. As you read through the book of Nahum, meditate on how we can take comfort in the message of Nahum. On how we can take comfort in a God who extends mercy and promises restoration to his people. Take comfort that the Lord is sovereign over all nations and all times. Take comfort that the Lord will execute justice against the evil and the wicked who attack and oppress God's people. Take comfort in the Lord Jesus Christ, founder and perfecter of our faith, whose coming was preceded by the events foretold in the book of Nahum. Thanks for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses were from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. Next episode, we'll dive further into the weeds on some of the nerdier aspects of the book of Nahum. Until next time, I love y'all.